Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. This week, leading the pack, we got Stephen Rockarts up on the Cahaba River from up in, a, well, he calls it Central Alabama, but I'm down here in Mobile, so everything's North Alabama to me. But anyway, Stephen, how you doing today, sir? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, getting a little chilly up here in North Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's uh, it's getting a little, it's getting a little chilly in South Alabama too, man. I tell you what, I woke up this morning, and I had to put my hoodie on. Ain't but about seven days after year we got to put the hoodie on. It was getting serious, but I'm still. I went, I went to go check my mail with my hoodie and my my flip flops. So okay, you're you're still you're still able to play it safe, then. That's good. <laughs> Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked. I know last time we talked, you know, we, we were still kind of at the tail end of that big summertime drought. And uh, we've started to get a little rain down here. The water level starting to go up a little bit in the swamp in my backyard. What's, what's stuff looking like up there? What's the water conditions look like and, and how are the fish responding to it? Right. So good question. And yeah, it's pretty much doing the same thing uh, that, that your water's doing. So we've had like some steady kind of trickling rains that come in and kind of dampen all the soil again, which is great. So all these smaller creeks that are feeding the river are starting to actually push a little bit of water into the river. So the river, is it rose up a couple inches, and now it's sustainable, which is fantastic. And um, we're slowly starting to get out of our crystal clear water, and we're slowly starting to get that green tint that you get in the wintertime, but that really won't really hit uh, probably until mid-January. But nonetheless, the, the water's starting to tint the way that it should, and the water level's becoming, I guess, more neutral which is fantastic. So the fish are moving back up in the in the swifter water. They're going back to those eddies and you can pick them apart that way. And that it's, it's been fun. So, I mean, the other day I went fishing and uh, I fished a warrior tributary, not a Cahaba tributary, but I fish a lot of warrior tributaries too. And we fish still, we take trips on locusts and things like that. So that's part of our, that's in our back pocket. But the fish um, were virtually out of the still stagnant water and they were only in the base of the shoals or in the pocket water of the shoals and they were only either above or below any of those moving sections and whenever it came to the very still water they were relatively absent which is fantastic for fly fishing I mean even conventional fishing you know because you can kind of hunker in on those spots and you know that okay this is where the fish are holding now and then you can pick those apart and just skip over the dead water so they're they're getting they're actively starting to feed again and I can't wait until we get not a big rain but a moderate rain because after that moderate rain give it a couple of days they're going to be fired up <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to not work that day <laughs> so with the you talk about the rain firing the fish up is it that right the the current pushes more food downstream is it that the the rain is is warmer compared to the rest of the water is there like a temperature change that causes that is it the water level the water speed food availability what makes that bite pick up so this time of year i don't pay too much attention to the temperature i think that it's more and now in the springtime i do especially for pre-spawn and spawn but 
for this type of or for this time of year, I pay a lot of attention to um, the rain for mostly because of food. It's getting pushed into the water. Everything's washing off the banks, running in. And then that turbidity will churn stuff up a little bit more. And sure, there's more food in the water. But I think most of all, whenever you come off of these these long, slow, dry falls like we typically have here in Alabama, I think that once that water really starts moving, that dissolved oxygen, everything increases in the water and the fish just feel more alive and they feel like they can do more and they can feed more and they get in that they get in this mental state. You know, they're not pre-spawn. But they know that, you know, come January and February, they need to start filling their bellies, especially all the females. They'll they'll just stuff themselves. But I think that this, whenever the rain starts late fall, early winter is when it triggers that impulse in them. And that's when everything kind of starts. They're staging for pre-spawn and they just start feeding more. They start feeding more consistently. They start hitting streamers. They'll hit, um, when I say streamers for someone's conventional fisherman, it's just like fishing swim baits or flukes or whatever it is just some type of bait fish imitation or crawfish imitation it's just made for a fly rod it's just lighter weight and it gives a a bit larger body but they'll start hitting those and um it's it's just it's one of the best times best times of year i mean it's just it's incredible yeah we we talked uh here a while back we had peter jordan on down here and he was talking about that how you know everybody who fly fishes wants to do the top water thing and I, i'm one of those guys right like i think what i what i told him on the show was it's like uh it's like shooting ducks cupped up over the decoys you know on a, on a day where you can get away with that being how you do your shooting that's definitely the way to duck hunt but some days you got to pass shoot and uh if if you want to shoot ducks and and with fly fishing i have a preference for that topwater bite but i, I can't deny i, I gotta agree, agree with him on what he said you catch more fish fishing below the surface right like that's the whole rest of the water column right that that you give yourself once right. you start fishing streamers so it kind of uh, drastically expands your options tell tell me a little bit more i guess about well, one, uh, everybody has their own different different streamers that they throw. Some people just stick with the basic clousers and woolly buggers, and some people get into more of the, of the articulated flies, um, some of the different patterns. So tell me about your favorite patterns, and then tell me kind of some tips that you got for fishing streamers more effectively. So, um, and I'm going to rewind a little bit more uh, first. So Peter Jordan is right, and that man, that guy is a fantastic fantastic streamer fisherman he can he's also one of the i mean in my opinion one of the top five best fly tires in the state of alabama and i wish he did it more but he he doesn't do it that much but he's man he can tie some just incredibly well put together articulated streamers but with that aside yeah if anybody wants to go back and listen to that episode on him if he talks about streamer fishing that would be very educational because he's he's right you know you're forcing a fish to feed on top or you're taking advantage of that one fish that's going to hit off the opportunity or it's going to be that one fish that just really wants to eat. But the reality of it is more fish are below the surface. But um, so this time of year, I like to fish. I usually start off fishing smaller streamers. Um, and if they're they're turning their heads that great. And then, and what I'll typically go is maybe something about two to three inches. And I'll do white and olive, just something to imitate a bait fish. You can add some small little bits of blue in there, something like that. And that works pretty well. And uh, I'll fish clousers or other weighted things to get down lower. And streamers aren't always bait fish like i said earlier it could be crayfish or i'll do leech patterns and you can do darker leech patterns olive black black and purple olive and red i love olive and red and this and all bass fishermen especially ones that are listening to this you all know like what is it watermelon red right uh, that, bass can differentiate between yeah bass can differentiate between reds and greens better than anything else at least the studies on largemouth bass 
I'm assuming it's, it's there's some carryover with all bass. But this time of year, I will fish lots of olives and reds, and I'll tie my flies specifically with olives and reds in them just so they can look at that fly and they, they think that it is a, a meal and they can distinguish everything about it because when we're going on this clear to foggier water, they think about things a little bit sometimes too much and that usually just creates the perfect impulse bite. But um, I'll fish those leech patterns like that and I'll fish uh, streamers with white and olives and stuff like that. And if I want to have a lot of fun, there's something called a Murdoch minnow. And one of my buddies, his name is Josh Hartley. He's a an incredible outdoorsman, fisherman, turkey hunter, deer hunter, all that stuff. He ties a version of a Murdoch minnow that is it's much larger, has a, a brushier or bigger head on it, and it pushes a lot of water, and it gives a lot of body to it. And I'm telling you right now, if you're wanting to just have some fun, you can take that fly, and he ties them in like, they're six inches long. And you can throw that on an eight weight and you can rip it through some deep pockets of currents and shoals and just watch it get annihilated. <laughs> it is, dude, it is so much fun. It's, it, it's, it's incredible. It's just a blast and a half. And you wouldn't think that they would hit something that big, but it, it is fun. So, uh, whites, olives and whites, olives and reds, black and purples, just things like that. That's pretty much what I fish this time of year. I gotcha. It's, it's funny what you were talking about, about fish hitting a bigger fly than what you thought they would fish. Uh, Matt Lewis, he came down here late summer and did some pickerel fishing with me. And, and pickerel, I don't think, I don't know if you'll have them up that far. Do y'all have pickerel in the Cahaba and Black Warrior Rivers? Or are they more of a kind of a coastal? They're up here. They're, they're mostly, they like to stay in, there's one uh, river about an hour and a half north of me, kind of the Jasper area. And they, they, there are a ton of chain pickle up in there and they're fun to target. So they're, they're kind of all over the state. I think they are more heavily populated down where you are. Yeah, we, we, we have a really good fishery and, and we, we had a pretty successful day. He caught the conditions just right when he came down here, but, uh, he was, he, he started throwing this streamer and, uh, and I was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell him how to do it. Like I know what I catch him with conventional fishing, but, uh, but he was throwing a, this big red and black streamer, and I swear it was a foot long. It was bigger than most of the pickerel in the creek. And I was like, I don't know about all that. Like, but I tell you, he wore them out that day. It wore them out. It it uh it was there. They're hard on a fly too. And I think he told me what that fly cost. I think he was throwing, you know, one of one of those twenty dollar <laughs> flies. He wasn't throwing some of the seventy nine cent specials at Bass Pro. This was yeah. a big, big, nice, fancy fly with lot, yeah. lots of components to it. And uh, and then pickerel just made made a mess out of it by the time it was all said and done but uh give give me some tips and 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 peter was he was very knowledgeable you could tell he's a really really technical guy right with fishing like he's got a lot of technical knowledge that that really comes through when he starts talking and uh and he does a good job of distilling it making it simple for people like me who were a little bit slow and i get slower throughout the week we were talking on a wednesday so i'm already you know dropped off half capacity to what i can understand on a monday (laughs) but uh tell me some more about um you know, because it's different here, you know, and, and he does he does bass fishing. I think we were mainly talking in terms of like speckled trout and that sort of stuff. But uh, up there where you're at, it's, it's a little bit different. The rivers are a little bit shallower. There's a little bit more current. So I imagine that that kind of looks differently when you're when you're fishing streamers and, and sinking stuff down in that condition versus here in some of the uh, like saltwater rivers and, you know, mouths of the rivers that dump here into the bay. What what are you usually using for for like your leader? What are what are some some gear recommendations you can make for throwing some of those streamers? If if it's you know for somebody like me who's mainly used to throwing topwater stuff, what changes in your setup? Right. So you know mono, what's the most buoyant one? It's going to sit on top of the water. It's going to be the hardest one to push down if you're building a leader or if you're buying leaders. 
you know, fluoro's technically the most clear and it's going to sink the fastest. Nylon's very similar to fluoro, may have a tiny bit more buoyancy to it, but I'll typically fish fluoro, um, three or four foot long, 20 pound test, just a straight piece. And I'll just tie it straight in either with a nail knot or a non-slip loop knot and then just hinge it in with my, my floating line. And the reason why I say floating line is the waters that we have here on the Cahaba, there's still a lot of structure and you can end up sinking your fly down too deep and you get stuck and you lose a lot of stuff on the river bottom. So I still fish floating lines. I will extend my leader only by about a foot. Like the longest I'd go is about five feet if I need to drop it down just a little bit more. Worst case scenario, I'm not getting everything down far enough or the water's just a little bit higher than what it normally is. I will fish an intermediate or a uh, sink tip line. I usually fish uh, sink tips more than I fish intermediates. And sink tip is you can just buy like 10, 15 foot, 20 foot sink tip. And all that is is just the line virtually floats the exception to the front of the line sinking down in the water a little bit more. So it gives you the capability of still casting, still having a shorter leader. That way you don't miss those strikes. You can set that hook and then your fly also carries pretty well. So if I do switch over from, so if I'm fishing a floating line, like, and uh, a three, four foot, four carbon, 20 pound test leader, or just a piece of, I mean, I just build it. I'm, I'm, I'm not too picky. If I'm fishing that, I'm going to fish a heavier fly, something with weight, because I'm really relying on that fly or the weight of the fly to pull the fly down into the water column. Um, if I'm going to be fishing a sink tip line, I'm typically going to be fishing a slightly lighter fly or a weightless fly. And then I'm going to allow that line to pull the fly down into the water. And then whenever it gets in the spot where I want it to be, I can then manipulate it by stripping the line, pulling the line, whatever you want to call it. And then that fly will, instead of rising up in the water column, it will either stay exactly where it is, just depends on how far down the sinking line is compared to where the fly is in the water column. But it'll either pull the fly and keep it directly in that section of the water column, either three or four or five feet deep, and it'll stay right there. Or it will help the fly dip down or course towards the bottom of the river. Um, like I said, it just depends on how long you waited on your fly to get down in the water. And that usually gives a good a good strike and it can usually, you know, put it right in the fish's face. But it all depends on the water you're fishing, the current you're fishing, et cetera. Um, and just a fun fact, I know I'm long-winded, but if you are going to be fishing a shoal, and it's a little bit shallower and then immediately gets deep and you don't have that sink tip line or you don't have um, the capability of getting your fly down and you're like, man, I wish, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? If you actually go down the river from the, from that shoal, go down the bottom of that shoal, turn the nose of your boat back up towards the shoal. And if you can put your fly all the way up there, right when the water starts turning, that water, the way that it, it manipulates and moves, it'll actually push your fly all the way down to the bottom and they can drop it 10 feet quickly and it'll actually pull your floating line down very fast and allow you to get in that perfect spot right there for the bite right there in the strike zone so there are ways you can work the water around your fly line if you don't have the right fly line but overall that's all i got (laughs) (laughs) that's all i got no that was that was good that was a good info dump but i I enjoy uh i enjoy everybody that we talked to that about freshwater fishing report and that's and that's the truth I, i enjoy it but I, but I do, especially as somebody who just started picking up fly fishing this year, I always enjoy talking with fly fishing guys because I, I really do not know. Sometimes you're asking leading questions to move the conversation, and, and some of these conversations are just like, hey, I, I don't know. Like, I think one of the early conversations I had with Jordan, he started talking about streamers, and I was like, what's a streamer? Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right, it's, right. It's been a it's been a whirlwind of a year for me. It's been a lot, a lot of new stuff to learn, but uh. 
And and kind of speaking of that, like I think that's a good transition uh, as far as like new guys who are who are learning. Like I'm building gear. I'm finding out that's its own thing. Trying to uh, build a, a collection of fly rods and lines and all of that stuff. I just went out and uh, and bought me a Orvis, one of the older model uh, sling bags. Picked one up on eBay for I think thirty five dollars instead of the one ten they asked for them new, which I was pretty happy about. And uh, can't beat that, man. No, no, can't beat that. But as far as uh, as far as like picking up new gear and and learning new things, I think you were saying uh, before we got on air that there was going to be a, a fly fishing show up in North Alabama somewhere this year. That's right. There's like a Coosa fly fishing show. It's going to be up in uh, Gadsden, Alabama. I believe it's January twentieth, and there should be lots of good vendors up there. Um, lots of good information. Um, pretty central location, you know, to Birmingham, Chattanooga, North Georgia. So I think it's going to be a pretty good turnout. The city, I believe, the city's helping to put it on. So it's it should be a pretty good turnout for sure. And guys, just to clarify, this will be a different show. It's going to be the same venue, but it's going to be different from the uh, Alabama Fishing Show that they're having. It's going to be in March from the 8th through the 10th. Uh, so two really good good shows coming to the Gadsden area. Good year to be a fisherman in Alabama. The Gadsden Show, I know that they did last year, the Alabama Fishing Show, was was pretty big. I was just talking last night to my uncle. He went, and, and he said it was awesome. He said they had seminars. He said they had a lot of different vendors there. You could lay your hands on things, uh, which I think is particularly important. Stephen, I think you'd agree with buying fly rods and stuff like that, being able to kind of give them a wiggle and a cast yourself before you take one home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll probably have to make uh, two trips up there and maybe maybe do a little fly fishing <laughs> up in up in Black Creek while I'm there. I've been uh, I wanted I was going to do that this year, and I think I rolled through town like three days before they opened that fishery for the stock trout. So I was going to just hit it on the way to DeSoto, and and I was like two three days early. I was like, man. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Well, well, Stephen, I, I know that you usually don't book trips this time of the year, but uh. Spring will be here before you know it. Uh, I already got guys down here who are who are making spring plans to go up and fish the Appalachians and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Once y'all's fishery kind of kind of heats back up up there and you start guiding again, if people want to book a trip for the spring, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Yeah, just uh, reach out at Instagram or Facebook. You can just look up Fly Fishing Alabama or Fly Fishing Alabama LLC, and then uh, or you can just go online. That's probably the easiest way to see what a trip would look like, what a trip would cost, um, what to expect, and what guide you can use me or, or a couple other ones that we, we have working that I, or that I work with. And that's www.flyfishingalabama.com. And then we're already filling up for the spring. So hopefully we got some extra spots oh, with those other two guys doing so much of everything for me. But um, if they want to they get on the roster, go ahead and give us a call and we'll see what we can figure out. And then we always send out our dates no later than the end of january for the spring there we go well guys definitely go check out Stephen if you are looking to go up there and fish some up in the uh central north alabama part of the state and uh steven as always i appreciate you uh, volunteering your time here to the show sir absolutely i had a blast man thanks for having me absolutely this week's episode of the alabama freshwater fishing report has been brought to you by the east tennessee fishing show and expo is back this year january 25th through the 28th at the knoxville expo center on clinton highway the east tennessee fishing show is the largest fishing show in the south and this year will be featuring more dealers more vendors and more exhibits than ever before all under one roof whether you fish for bass crappie trout or walleye if you fish you won't want to miss the latest fishing gear equipment and apparel Come check out Custom Tackle, Lures, Rods, Reels, Electronics, and Guides, January 25th through the 28th. Tickets are only $12 for adults and $8 for kids 6 and above. Kids 5 and younger can attend for free. Tickets are available online or at the door, and the parking is also free. Learn more at EastTennesseeFishingShow.com. Also brought to you by Dixie Supply.
Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles in your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Alrighty, guys, we're back from our break. Our second guest we got this week is going to be Brandon Jackson up at the Riverside Fly Shop over in Coleman County uh, off of the, I think, the Sipsy Fork of the Black Warrior River. Is that right, Brandon? That is it. You got it. There we go. Pretty place. Been a while since I've been up there. But uh, when I went, it was nice. That 50-something degree water felt pretty good because it was about 100 degrees. And uh, <laughs> it, I imagine now it wouldn't feel quite so good to wet weight up there, though. It's amazing. If the weather is really cold, if it's uh, below freezing or right around the freezing mark, the water is warm. You know, it's still 50 degrees. So you, uh, you're you in it and it's actually kind of keeping you a little bit more comfortable until you get your hands wet, you know, and then they, they get in the air and it, it's a little bit painful then. But it's amazing how, you know, you, you catch a fish and where in the summer you stick your hand in the water to, to support the fish or to, you know, to take the hook out. And it's so cold, it feels like it bites. In the winter, it's like, oh, that's, that's actually kind of warm until you put them back up in the air and that uh, that water starts to evaporate and then it's a little bit uncomfortable i can imagine and, and then up there i've seen pictures when it's uh you know that that discharge 55 degrees you get those those mornings where it's real real foggy right it's like the water's steaming you don't you don't think about it but we have that down here when i go duck hunting the worst thing that you can have is a really hard cold front that moves in and the water's warm and the air is cold and you have for like the first 12 feet, you just have a solid bank of just like pea soup fog down the river. So uh, what's, uh, I think last time we talked, it was kind of spring, summertime. And, and you were telling me that really the fishing actually kind of picked up a little bit uh, in the winter, if I remember, just because mainly, you know, with that deep water discharge, the water temperature stays stable, but, but everybody goes off and they're deer hunting up there on the National Forest. Is that right? Yeah, we, we don't see as much pressure, which uh, allows the fish to, to feed more naturally, stay in certain areas. Some of that's weather dependent. You know, if we get a, a lot of rain, that can kind of change things. If the lake turns over, you know, typical things that you would deal with with uh, streams below impoundments. But usually the winter is pretty good. It's um, It's been pretty good this fall. And I, I would think that things would continue to get uh, a little bit better as the winter wears on and, and continues. And, and people get focused on family events with Christmas and then other things uh, starting the new year. But um, the fishing just stays good. It's, it's um, fairly consistent. It's not gangbusters. You know, the, the fish spread out a lot in the wintertime because they've got a lot of cold water that they can get into with the natural stream turning cooler. And so they may uh, migrate into those a little bit, but then they come back. And so, uh, yeah, usually the, the fall and winter is a, is a great time to visit the Sipsy Fork. So what does that wintertime pattern look like for rainbow trout up there on the Sipsy? You get into a lot of your um, zebra midge nymphs under an indicator. You do get some uh, great opportunities on top. There are times where the midge hatch can get really thick and uh, the fish really do concentrate on them. So we've seen a lot of surface activity over the last month or so. That's been great. We see a, it's called a micro stonefly in the wintertime. It's a black stonefly and about a, a size 18. So it's really small for a stonefly, but it's really cool to see that pattern come to our river and uh, to our state. We don't, we're not known for stonefly patterns in Alabama, 
but uh, but that's a that's a cool one, and we see that traditionally once the temperatures get pretty cold, and uh, and so that's a, another fly that you can target on the surface and subsurface, and then you know your traditional uh, sow bug, scud, stuff like that does pretty well this time of year too. That's that's interesting, getting a top water bite there when it when it's that cold. Um, what what does it look like? Like if you're going to specifically go after, go after them for top water, is there a particular time of day that works better? Do they hit top water more in the morning or do they wait for it to warm up a little bit or does it really just depend on the hatch? Yeah, most of us are old bass fishermen. And so we think, oh, I've got to get out there super early in the morning if they're going to get up on top. But it actually works a little bit uh, different on the stream because it's in that deep ravine. And so there's, it's not getting any sunlight early in the morning. And so usually what it takes is that sun really just barely creeping out onto the surface of the water. And that's what really gets the bugs activated. And once that sun starts to come up, you know, nine to about 11 o'clock, traditionally, that's when you're going to see them. And then again in the afternoon from about uh, 1230 to, to two or so, that's kind of the, the height of those surface hatches. Interesting. I, I know it's definitely a... When I went up there, it's surprising, like you said, how long it takes for the sun to get down there. And then it's always kind of daunting. We went, we were right there at the base of that dam. It's a big dam. And it's it's unusual that that's one that you can get pretty close to. A lot of the dams that I'm used to on the Alabama and the Tom Bigby, you can't really get right up on them. But with that one, I don't know if it's the ravine that makes it look that big, but you find yourself just looking looking at it and you're like, man, it'd be bad if all of a sudden you just saw water start shooting out the side of it. Like there's nowhere to go, you know, not, not much you could do. Yeah, it's an enormous structure. It's uh, 300 something, I think 360 something feet tall. And so it is it is imposing for sure. But it's also, you know, more than a quarter mile thick. So it's it's pretty stable. You, you don't have to worry about it, but it is, you, you, it kind of gets in your head. You start to think, well, if it did uh, happen, where would I go? What would be the safest route? And, and there probably isn't one. <laughs> if it <laughs> no. were to happen, it would just be over. Yeah, no, I, I remember looking at it. I was fishing with my uncle and I'm just looking at it. I'm like, well, I guess, you know, if something happened, I guess I'd just hope that a piece of debris hit me upside the head and it went over quickly. <laughs> so. Yeah, you'd be in the ocean pretty quick. For sure. Is there, refresh my memory, I can't remember, does does Alabama DCNR, do they have a, like a stocking schedule for that stream? So it gets stocked once a month. They're relying on other agencies to stock it out. So what the way it works is um, we have an agreement with Tennessee. They raise fish in a, in a federal fish hatchery on the Kentucky-Tennessee border called Dale Hollow. And they send us trout uh, seven times a year in exchange for us sending them Gulf Strain Striper. And so they stock their impoundments with the striper. We get to stock uh, the Sipsy Fork with the trout. And then as part of a relicensing agreement, Alabama Power contributes money for the state to purchase additional stockings. So that that allows us to be stocked each and every month. It's supposed to be toward the end of the month. It's usually on a Thursday, but that can change so much based on whether the trucks are ready, whether the fish are ready, whether you know guys have days off or if they're they're on. And so it can change a little bit. Um, it's really hard to try to plan. We, we really encourage people not to try to plan around the stocking schedule because you're just always going to be disappointed. Uh, if you, if you think you're going to hit it just perfect, um, it just, it rarely works out that way. And, and even the days that you think should be perfect because, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a day after the stocking, I'm here or there. It just, it doesn't work out that way. And so it's a lot better to, to just try to be, to give it a few chances. You know, if, any fishery, I think if you if you go to it just one time 
and think that you're getting a flavor of what that fishery can offer, you're probably going to be disappointed. It, it, it just takes a little bit of time. And especially with a tail race where things change so often and so much, it is a, a river that rewards those who are willing to put in a little bit of consistency. It doesn't take, a, you know, a, three days a week for two months, uh, but it does take, you know, a couple of trips to kind of get things figured out, get your bearings and, uh, and see what it can offer. For sure. I know talking about what all it offers, I know that, uh, you know, most people, they think about the Sipsy Fork and the tailwaters. They think about that rainbow trout fishery up there. But I know I've been up there and fished it for a warrior bass up there in, in that locale. What other species are anglers going to run into if they go up there and fish it? You may look into, you know, anything, uh, which is kind of cool. But traditionally, the things that we will target uh, that we're, you know, that we're really kind of looking for, we'll do some of the, the red-eye bass, some of the spotted bass, but we also get a pretty good group of chain pickerel hiding under logs as you go further downstream, as you get away from the dam a little bit. And then uh, it's the home to one of the few places that you can find the um, southern walleye in the state. And so that's a really unique opportunity. They have a moratorium on them right now. You can't keep any, but they're a really cool fish to see. And hopefully they're making a rebound. Hopefully they will continue to grow a number that we can get population that's kind of rebooted there and uh, and offer more opportunities to people with that thing but it's a it's a really cool fish that has been there you know all along it's just not many people knew about it and uh, and their numbers really declined and uh, were threatened there for a little while and so that we're we're hoping we can help get those numbers kicked back up. Tell me more about the wildlife because I know that's something I hear people talk about up north fishing I know that's a really big game fish up there. What does it usually look like targeting a walleye? Like, is that mainly a piscivore? Is that an insectivore? Like, are you, are you targeting them kind of like the trout up there? Are they more like bass? Like, just kind of walk me through the basics on that. You're going to fish them like you would for a bass subsurface. They're not going to hit poppers and things like that. But we use uh, game changers a lot for those guys because they seem to like a, a more natural presentation. A woolly booger uh, in the right place, stripped back. Um, you have to change that retrieve speed. They seem to be fairly finicky they 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 like what they like and if you're not if you're not getting them pretty close uh they just you know they're just not going to eat so by varying a lot of size and then retrieve speed that's been the the trick for us interesting but they yeah they're eating other fish they're not uh they're not insect driven they're definitely um feeding on smaller fry minnow patterns shad patterns stuff like that and they they're kind of holding like the uh, the chain do. They, they like structure. They like different variations in the river. And uh, the weird thing so far, it, it's still kind of new to me. I'm, I'm still trying to figure figure them out and, and trying to get a pattern for them. And they're not holding in locations that well. Uh, they move around a lot. They, they from what I've seen, uh, they're moving around a lot. And so if I catch one in one place, doesn't mean I can go back and, and catch one two weeks later in that same area. They they just seem to to move a little bit more, be um, predation driven, and so their their ambushing points are important to them. But it doesn't, from what I've been able to, to get so far, and and it's it's still you know fairly new. They're they're not using the same ambush points day after day. Uh, I wish it was more like uh, bass fishing on a pond or a lake, where if you find a point that's a great ambush point. Every time you go out there, you're going to find a fish at least holding in that spot. Um, they're moving around a little bit more. So it's been a, it's been a great challenge. It's been exciting. 
but sometimes it can get a little frustrating just because it's not so far super predictable. Well, it, it definitely sounds like an interesting and challenging and uh, something novel to do up there. I know I've kind of got a, uh, a new appreciation for all the, the diversity that we have here in Alabama. I've been trying to catch a fish in every county in the state, and you run into some, some different fish than what most people are used to, which is part of the fun. Tell me a little bit. I've, I've got to ask because, you know, when you're when you're traveling like that, you're pulling off on the side of the road and you're trying to catch a fish in a county and move on, hit the next one. If you're trying to knock out two or three places in the same day and, and you're new to those fisheries, I've been targeting a lot of panfish and I've developed a big appreciation for them. Do you see I know I know you mentioned that like the fish that you have kind of change as you get away from the dam and the water temperature warms up. Is, is there a different panfish that's like predominant close to the dam versus as you get further downstream? Do you see that that change any? What are y'all's big panfish up there? Uh, we're just seeing a lot of different brim species, but a lot of long ears, uh, I think, are the probably the ones that we see the most. We don't we don't get a lot um, just because I'm not targeting them. Traditionally with, with clients, we're, um, we're throwing some woolly boogers, uh, but usually they're a little bit bigger than what I'd throw for the brim. And we're not targeting, you know, a lot of structure. Uh, the trout are bug eaters, so they're looking more for current. And so we're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're not focused on those as much. But I would imagine throughout that river system, you know, as you get further downstream, closer to Mulberry, where that warm water is coming in, you're going to see all of the the warm water uh, brim species that you'd see. You'd see some pumpkin seeds. You'd see uh, the long ear and and all the all the normal normal guys. Every once in a while, we'll catch uh, a brim, and and if we do, usually it's a it's a really nice one. It's going to have a big orange chest and as big as your hand or bigger. So uh, they always put up a lot of fun fight. But yeah, you you can get down there um, from the bridge upstream, and if you target the the structure that's in the river, and there's always a lot of structure that you can target, you can you can get into some good brim days. I know I've definitely found that the clearer and the colder the water, the prettier they are. That's something I've noticed. If you're catching them in warm slack waters up in the cypress knees, they're going to be muted. And then I've gotten into some panfish up in like Taldeg National Forest, and they are, they're almost surreal. Like it's, it's really funny to me. People can be a bit dismissive about panfish because they're small, but you think about how many guys will go and, uh, you know, drive hours and hours and spend all kind of time to go catch four to eight inch brook trout, you know. And, right. uh, and they are pretty fish, but when you're holding one of those long ear sunfish or the pumpkin seeds or uh, red spotted sunfish, red breasts, and you look at those, it's just like, wow, it's hard to imagine a prettier fish. The pumpkin seed that we've caught in the Sipsy Fork are just, I mean, the blues are deeper blue than I've ever seen anywhere else. Um, it's just, they do have beautiful colors and I still love brim fishing, so. Oh yeah, that every year uh, I, I wait for those little craters to show up in the streams here by my house because that's that's just yeah. some that's the best time you can have. Talk to me a little bit. We've kind of got a theme going this month with the colder weather. Uh, we've been talking a lot about safety, and it's generally been talking about. I think we talked with Justin Dunham down here kayak fishing. We talked about kayak safety. Uh, we talked with Steve Graziano. He shared a story with us about a time that he fell out of his boat. So we've talked boat safety mainly. And I know up there y'all do float trips and y'all do a lot of wading. And as somebody who's used to the warm slack water down here, uh, it's kind of different when you get up there, you know, finding some water that's got some really, really impressive current. It's colder. The air temperatures are colder. Um, and you're you're kind of in a remote area up there, right? Like it's uh, definitely off the beaten path. 
what are some tips that you can give us from all of your experience that you've had wade fishing the river up there? We wear waders um, because if if you do get in a situation where you're going to be you know knee or thigh or especially if you get up to your waist in our water at 50 degrees, it's going to suck the heat out of you. And it does it fairly slowly. So sometimes people don't realize, but even when I have clients and waders, if we get into a spot and we're, we're targeting fish and we're seeing fish, they may stay there for an hour and a half, even, you know, two hours in one, one area waist deep. By the time we go to get out of the river, it seems inevitable that they have a hard time moving. Their, their, their legs are tight. The tendons don't want to move. The muscles don't want to move as easily. And, uh, and they don't realize how cold they are. So I think maintaining awareness is the number one thing, you know, knowing where you're at in the river, knowing where your entry and exit points are, uh, being aware of your condition, you know, am I getting too cold? Am I, am I getting tight? Am I uh, starting to, to kind of lose that, that sensation on my feet so that I can't feel the rocks as well? You know, where am I at? Where, where do I need to go? And how am I doing? I think those are, those are super important to kind of keep in mind. On the Sipsy Fork, we have a hydroelectric dam, and it operates almost on a daily basis. So you, you want to always be aware of the generation schedule. We typically fish when it's not generating and then uh, leave when it comes on or uh, as it's on. And, uh, and so just ke- keeping aware of that schedule, knowing that it could change at any time, and then uh, keeping an eye on, okay, if it were to come on, I've got to go here, there, you know, having, having those things top of mind really helps waiting staff in a, an area, especially like ours where you've got heavy flows and then it slows down. You have um, the perfect environment for grasses and mosses and things like that to start really taking hold on the rocks. And so having that third point of contact can really make a difference. So we have some really good waiting staff that we encourage people. Um, if you're, if you're at that point, you're, you're, you're concerned about it, it's a great option to, to keep on your belt, have there uh, for when you need it. Having good footwear, I still love felt. If, if you're going to keep it on a home water, um, I like an interchangeable sole because if I do go somewhere else, I can change it out to a rubber sole or I can change out the felt and use a new, new felt in order to keep from transporting aquatic organisms. Uh, I don't want to, to take things and, and transfer them from one waterway to another. And so maintaining that's a, a, an important aspect, but having good footwear that helps grip the rocks and, and give you a little bit more stability can really happen. And then just being aware of what you need to do if something should go wrong, uh, reminding yourself, okay, if, if something does happen, I just need to stay calm. And I've got a plan. I know where the exit is, but maybe, you know, if it really goes wrong and I, I, I fall, maybe and I'm having a hard time getting there. You know, I know how to get out of my waders. I know how to, you know, float with my waders on if, if, you know, if I had to, I'm not scared of them. I kind of know how they're supposed to work, how it's supposed to go if things, you know, really went sideways and I've got a plan for it. So I'm not going to freak out. I'm just going to do what I need to do. I think those are all things that, that really help people maintain a high degree of safety in those areas. But, you know, a good pair of waders, a good waiting belt, a staff and some, some good footwear all sets you up for success so that, so that those worst case scenarios never happen. I think that's a pretty thorough explanation of how to stay safe out there. 
I mean, the thing that I would add, anybody listening in, make sure that you kind of let people know where you're going um, and then have a plan to warm back up. I know down there where we were fishing, like there's some really good access down there. That was something that surprised me when I went and saw it is there's really good regular access. So you're always just a hike up the hill back to your truck where you can kind of crank the heater. I would say definitely something what, what you were saying early on that really surprised me was going up there in the summertime, uh, wet wading, how quickly you start to... Like you said, your legs get tight, your tendons get tight. Like you're standing there, you're fishing, you're having a good time, you're talking. feels good. You know, it's a hot day, you're in some cold water. And then you go to take that first little little step. And I, I learned real quick to, uh, before I, I started seriously moving to kind of sh- shuffle a little bit, wiggle my toes, get that blood flowing, because uh, it's it's definitely a bad combination, right? When you get a little bit less dexterity and then you get some of those slippier rocks. I right. almost fell, and it and it's not it's not very fun to fall in that water even in the summertime. I imagine that a a tumble right now would would definitely wake you up, to put it mildly. It ends your day really fast. <laughs> in the summer, you can recover from it, but uh, in the winter time, you're 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 gonna hit the truck and hopefully go back by the shop and sit by the uh, buck stove and let the uh, the fire warm you up. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that I have learned down here duck hunting and and running around fishing a little bit, doing some trot lines and stuff in the wintertime is you can get wet and you can get cold, but the only cure for cold and wet is a hot shower. I've I've gotten wet, come up over my waders early in the morning and it'd be one o'clock in the afternoon by the time I get back to the house and you're still cool. You're sitting in the house, you got your heater running, you've been in the truck, heater running and just man, once you once you get that chill in you, that is hard to shake. So but it's fun. It looks beautiful. I see pictures up there and uh I've I've been up a few times hiking and I'm I'm really hoping to make a trip up that way sometime soon. If folks are looking to go up there, if folks are looking to either either book a trip or just stop by and, and kind of, you know, pick up whatever the hot fly is for that week, what's a good place for people to get in touch with you? We, uh, we've we got our website, riversideflyshop.com. It's got all our contact information, but they can also just give us a call, 256-287-9582. Well, there we go, folks. Be sure to check them out. That's a, a really good fishery for the winter months. Brandon, as always, I definitely appreciate you uh, contributing your time to the show, sir. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's always great to talk to you. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Hilton's. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. Also brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Well, folks, that wraps up this week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. 
If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rig or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Also brought to you by LM Marine. LM Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251-937-1380. Also by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call 1-888-830-POND or info at secpond.com. And brought to you by KillerDock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to see more.